This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is a hundred percent Australian owned and local. Phone one three one eight zero six. And welcome everyone. After a very brief hiatus, it is episode 145 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. I'm Caroline Wilson and I'm here with my dear friend, the bookseller, journalist and, well, what haven't you done in your life, Corrie? <laughs> Board member extraordinaire, Corrie Perkin, great to see you again. And we're back in the studio, Kaz. Yay! We're back in the studio. The, the COVID central studio, no, no longer. It has been washed and wiped to within an inch of its life, this Croc Media studio, hasn't it, since it's, the little scare? It's truly an international, well, certainly a national episode because Miss Jane has deserted us for the first time ever. We've got the wonderful Alicia Hopkins producing us from South Australia, which is very exciting. Um, another great We're crossing the, the border. I know. <laughs> uh, well, there's no other way to do it at the moment. Um, another great fan and friend of the podcast, Sam Thompson, has left us a beautiful posy, including some French lavender. Thank you, Sam. And azaleas and, oh, Miss Jane. Mm, watch <laughs> out, Jane. <laughs> could be a While bit the of cat's a, away. <laughs> could be. Uh, Corrie, it's been so long since I've seen you. It's been so many issues and things that have happened since I've seen you. We've had... Numbers have been good here in Victoria. There have been a few changes, not enough for your liking, I gather. We've seen some wonderful people. We've seen some wonderful people die, some great Australians. We've seen some wonderful new shows. I've got a cracker of a recipe for you. And we have our challenges to discuss because we're almost at the end of September. Well, we are, Caro, but before we do this, the the booty from listeners has been piling up, I have to say, at the bookshop. Thank you, everybody, who sends it to the bookshop. That's a very good idea because it is more likely to hit Carol and my in-tray than perhaps if it goes elsewhere. The first little one comes from our friend Lindsay Reid in Perth. And you can open this while I read the letter, Caro. Oh, not more. Ma- oh, she dearest, sent a tiger's mask. Dearest Corrie, Caro. I gave mine away. Dearest Corrie, Caro, Coco and Jane, because oh, of course she knows Coco Lindsay. from the bookshop. I'm sure you have now more than enough face masks, but I had to do something. Self-explanatory. Book masks for Coco and Corrie. Richmond for Caro and flowers for Jane. Podcast keeping us in touch and informed with you all. Look at the the book. The book masks are beautiful. Oh, Coco and I'll be wearing those. Lindsay, thank you. You are a darling. And also, dare I say, a very good sewer with your singer machine. Or maybe you do it by hand. I don't know. Well, the Tigers merchandising department has really let us down. Sorry to digress onto Richmond very quickly. But as we speak, the finals are upon us. And a lot of my friends have been to Richmond. You know my issue in the past few years with Tiger Towels. I've told Brendan Gale... If you really want to make some money, you need to make more tiger towels. They haven't had it. The masks. Tiger tails. Towels. Oh, the towels. Oh, yes, of course. Not like the ones when we were kids that had a tiger all the way down with all the signatures. But anyway, they're oh, not enough masks. Sounds attractive. There are not enough. Oh, they're fabulous, Corey. They're collector's items now. But there are not enough masks and a lot of my friends are waiting for them. I got sent a couple into footy classified and I gave one to my mum and one to my dad. Well, so Lindsay. I'm very excited, Lindsay. Lindsay, this is beautiful. job opportunity, Dal. Now we have another one. You can open this parcel can while I, I read this. Can I James just while she's away? <laughs> I so, love the green oh, one. So long as you don't wear it, that would be foul. Now this one is from our darling listener and regular podcast contributor in terms of correspondence, Doreen Feeney, who oh. lives in Queensland, Caro. Yes, and lucky Doreen. She says... I f- Dear Carol and Corrie, I feel I need to say a very big thank you for your podcast. It's been just wonderful during COVID. I've so admired your positive approach to life during the time. Mm. Well, we pretend well, I suppose, Doreen. Um, I'm of, sure it some of us have been more positive than others. <laughs> I'm sure it can't always be easy, but you've kept it up. She talks then about how she so missed her regular visits to Geelong where she has uh, a beautiful granddaughter and family in Geelong. And, of course, um, when Doreen comes to Geelong, she often pops into the bookshop in Hawksburn, which is always lovely to see her. She says, I found myself um, following football podcasts and watching Footy Classified, Caro. I've been a Lions supporter forever, but this year I've taken a real interest in Richmond and Hawthorne. I even shed a tear during the Hawthorne game on the weekend. 
I'm not sure which weekend she was speaking of, but it was probably most weekends. Oh, it would have been. No, it would have been farewell to Poppy. <laughs> yes, and... I know. Well, I. Yeah, one of the many losses. Definitely would have been. I've, I've been and thinking... that nice chap who's been your captain, the yeah, DJ, ben. for the last couple of years. <laughs> I've been thinking for ages, what could I do to express my appreciation? Well, I made you each an apron. They are beautiful. I know you love to cook, and yes, I've tried lots of your recipes. Didn't really enjoy the fish pie. Mm, I loved the fish pie. That was Caro's recipe from a couple of years ago. Um, Doreen, it is so lovely to hear from you. Thank you for the lovely note you said about popping into the bookshop. I do appreciate that. And um, these aprons have unicorns on them, Caro. Are they unicorns or camels? No, I thought camels and then goats, but clearly they're unicorns. They're beautiful. Oh, no, they're goats. Because they have two ears, not one horn. Well, they're not unicorns. Yes, they have, yes. and they be unicorns. Yes, they, they they look like very pretty goats. They're all different. They're they're blue and aqua on and a black pink background. On oh, a black Doreen, background. This is wonderful. You've been busy with your sewing and singing singer sewing machine and as well. And tunic style, like the ones our mums used to have. Remember Over in the sixties and seventies? No tying up at the back. Oh, I love them. Do you oh. want the aqua or the pink? I love both. You pick. Oh well, I don't mind. You are always a bit of a green girl. Okay. Aren't you green blue? Okay. I'll... I don't mind. I'm just so happy to have. Oh, I... look at the look. I think they are goats. It's absolutely anyway, beautiful. Anyway, Doreen, Doreen, you're just so lovely. I don't want potties out there to feel that they have to send us in their craft work, but I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. It's just a really lovely thought. Oh, and if also... they want to, they can. <laughs> these are these are the nicest aprons, and because they're black, they don't get so. You know those white ones; they just end up showing the dirt. Well, that's so true. But this is also a very hardy linen, isn't it? It's really trivial. Almost oh. a fashion item, Corrie. <laughs> Almost. Hey, so listen... look on to challenges. I'm sorry, I digress, but I did want to just say, you know, hello, and also thank you to everybody who's been emailing us with their comments and Facebook comments and Instagram comments while we've been away. There was some concern that something had happened to you and I. A couple of messengers said, virus? And we went, no, absolutely not. Miss Jane was away for a week. It's like like mum. It's like when I said, I'm not doing a column this week. People will think you did. (laughs) Thanks, mum. Don't I deserve a week off? I've been working quite hard. She said, oh, no, I mean it in a nice way. They just look forward to you. Well, it's nice that people missed us, Corrie. It is And nice. Um, it's nice that we've come to the end of the September challenge, which for me was to throw myself into my work, which I sort of did, but then we ended up having um, a Monday off from Footy Classified, so I threw myself into the garden instead. But there's been a lot going on at work and there's so many interesting stories going around in footy. Carol, I so, feel you're here, you're there, you're everywhere. Well, so not on Monday much longer, night, you know, only a month to go of the footy season. You know, season. I, I, I often am asleep. I go to bed early, so I often miss your football show. But on Monday night, there I was. I don't know why I had the television on at 10 o'clock. Flicked over and up you popped in a very pretty blue outfit. Yes, very nice blue um, Scanlon and Theodore top, which I actually wore for the promo shots at the start of the year. Happy to stay and say it's no tighter now than it was when I wore it back in um, February. Does one... Is one allowed to keep the Scanlon and Theodore no, on the top? No, but occasionally I have speaking engagements and Channel 9 are very nice about letting me borrow them. And then you Although, say, oh, look, I'll have it for four weeks and I'll bring it back. Well, not quite, but unfortunately there's no, you can't, everybody knows you don't have a speaking engagement at the moment. And if you do, it's on Zoom, I suppose. You know, I've had to lend, um, when um, I was working down at the beach a lot, I had to, a few months ago, friends of my daughters would ring and say, quick, we need a black jacket or we need a velvet blazer or we need a white top because they suddenly had a Zoom meeting and all they had was windsheeters. And it's amazing how you can disguise what's going on everywhere else as long as Very easy. you've got a good top on. But tell me, now, your challenge. My challenge an hour a day keeps the tension away. So two weeks ago, after our last podcast, I went into our friend Anna's shop at Sorrento, Cape Merchants, best gift shop ever, and I bought a puzzle, a thousand piece, and it's the it's a it's a sort of a bird's eye view of Melbourne. It's very beautiful. It is the hardest, most That's frustrating thing. That's why I've thing. finished our book of the week and you haven't. Exactly you've been right. Puzzling. It's been taking away my time. I tend to do it because the afternoon light is now. I can only do it in natural light. The pieces are so small. And as Anna said, you really need to download the magnifying app on your phone, <clears throat> which is actually a really good tip. But uh, I found between sort of four, five and six o'clock, which is my usual reading time, that's when I've been puzzling away. This thing is driving me nuts. And I have a deadline because when the little girls come, the grandchildren, oh, well, you know, that's, that's the end of the puzzle. So I only 
Well, hopefully, I only have two or three weeks. Gosh, I might even have longer. Isn't that sad? Anyway, before they come down and terrorise me. So, uh, yes, I've, I've, start, I've done most of the border. <laughs> so is that is that meant to be, does, is it doing the job, relieving no. the tension? Yeah, it's, I'm so stressed. <laughs> that was, sorry, that was the point of the story. I'm so stressed. And my husband said the other night, just put the thing away. Just like, you know, there's no reason. No one has a gun to your head that you have to finish this puzzle. But, you know, once you start it, it's like a big book. You know, once you start it, and even if you're not enjoying it, yeah, the you problem, feel you should keep going. I love puzzles, and Clem, my youngest daughter, adores them. And over the years, we've done many. But, you know, the problem is wherever they're set up, you can't really move them. So unless you've got a massive, massive house, which I don't have, you know, it does tend to take over the dining room table or the kitchen table or the floor in front of the television. I mean, and you live with it, for, which is obviously what you're doing as well. Do you remember when we were young, younger housewives, we used to dream of having a room where we could have all the wrapping, our wrapping room, so you could have cut, all, I had, the, I had the cut all the flower ribbons. room, like those English <laughs> magazines. Well, all the ribbons and a big table where you could uh, wrap all the Christmas gifts and the paper could be all stored oh, nicely. I'd love, love a wrapping Wouldn't room. Wouldn't that be lovely? With a nice big basin so you could do cut flowers as well. Yes. Wouldn't that be great? Multitask. Or you could turn it into a puzzle room as well. Anyway, um, not to be. So what about October, Caro? Have you given any thought to your October challenge? Oh, look, it's pretty obvious, the garden. It's It's been the most wonderfully mild winter. Everything is looking so beautiful and I'm going to do more this year. I'm not going to... But walk. what's your actual challenge? Because you love it. So why would it be challenging? Because I've got to do... Well, it's enough. I mean, obviously in the past I've had people help out with mowing lawns and chopping down things and helping prune and hedging. Well, I don't have anyone to do that anymore because garden, well, the gardeners are just allowed to come back, I think, but only one person. So you can't really get that much done. So I'm going to, I am going to, I will have a feast of topiary in my garden. My fruit trees will no longer be wild and woolly. They'll be in beautiful, neat balls. My restringer will be in balls. So I suppose there's no point in saying we need photos because you were so lousy with the last challenge. Oh, I've, with I've the got posies. some more for you. I'm <laughs> going to do clouding. I'm going to do. No, I am going to create and cut and chop. It's going to be because I can't um, do the same to myself. I still haven't had my legs waxed. They're so disgusting. And I can't bring myself to get the razor out. But, you know, I guess, it, look, I, so I think I'm going to have to soon. Anyway, embrace sorry the, to embrace those people who really hate hearing about this. Yeah, and also people who are probably having lunch or something going, mm, that oh, just to, put me off. Look, yeah, I, garden, I, you must, garden, be, inspired. Garden, you must be inspired by your mother because I was on the phone to your mum the other day and Jewel was telling me how in lockdown she's discovered or rediscovered old gardening routines that she thought that as an older lady she'd put to bed forever, like mowing the lawn. She said, I got the mower out. I said, well, good on you. And yeah, she's, she's been clipping she's, and cutting. She's, she she's actually removed a tree. Energy. And guess who the bunny was who had to drag the entire oh, branch thing. to the front of the house and leave it on the um, nature strip for someone now, else to deal with. Do you want with. to know what my challenge is? Yes, I do. Okay. So remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about in my driving books around what's the biggest suburb in Melbourne. Well, I'm not sure whether it is officially, but Q feels like the biggest suburb so I'm going to walk the streets of Kew. I'm going to find out if it actually is. That's a very good I'm idea. Go- and my objective, Caro, is to maybe... You'll have to do... wait until it's a 5K rule is lifted, obviously. Well, I thought if I have... But I thought if I have my... Because I'm delivering so many books there, mm. am I allowed to get out of the car and Wouldn't walk for an hour? So. No. Oh, really? No, I think you've got to wait. Uh, look, not long to go, two and a half weeks or something. Oh, I was, I was, I was, going, to do, I was going to say I'm going to do 50 kilometres of queue, but um, that only gives me two weeks to do it. Mm, okay. Yeah, well, I'm sorry. I hate to be a you know, killjoy, but there are a lot of things we can do now that we couldn't do last week. We can go to an open for inspection, for example. I don't want to do that. I want to we walk you. We can stay out all night if we want. Where well, we can actually... we just can we just put, leave that hanging to see what happens? Can you get the intel from your husband, Well, I'm Brendan? telling you... No, I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now, Corrie. No is, walking. No, well, you can walk, but you can't go beyond five k's. You know that. You, you're only in queue to deliver books. You can't double up. Oh, I thought people might not notice if I jumped out of their car. Well, okay, not, well, I'll hold if you on want. to. The, oh, <laughs> no, I don't want a five thousand. I will wait for that to be. Anyway, that hopefully will be my challenge toward the end of the month. If there is no change in the walking restrictions, then I'll have to think of something else. Now, Corrie, a lot has happened in the last fortnight. Obviously, 
when we hear even a double figure now, we're upset that it's not five because we've had one day where there were five coronavirus cases in Victoria, which was just an unbelievable result. And we feel like things, uh, we feel like things are getting better. Um, we've lost a health minister. Jenny McCarkos resigned before she was pushed a few days ago. She wasn't all that happy about it quite clearly. Personally, I think it was probably the right thing to do. Um, we it had sounded a, like she had a little push from the Premier when he spoke on fr- on the Friday at the inquiry. Yes, well, they both had conflicting evidence at the inquiry, so she clearly <laughs> had bit to of a go. Push. She clearly had to go. Um, I think I think so. I mean, in the end, the health department was responsible for hotel quarantine, which was an utter debacle, and someone had to carry the can, Corrie, and it was Jenny McCarkos. So there's a new health minister um, who is a very experienced politician. We were very excited on Sunday to think that there might be a lot of things changing. The um, deadline was brought forward a week, so now it's October 19, not October 26, which is pretty exciting when life will hopefully be a little bit more normal. Um, There were, think people like gardeners are allowed to come to your house. Real estate has been given a massive fillip. I can go and see Rosie, the personal trainer. You can, but um, as a bookseller, it wasn't a huge amount of relief. No, we were pretty disappointed actually, Carol. We thought there might be, given that retail is bleeding and we're coming into the Christmas countdown, we all thought that maybe there might be some relaxation in restrictions regarding the non-essential places. Nothing. So that was pretty devastating. But I think also the other thing that was a bit devastating too is I realised that, you know, this phrase that we hate this year, the new normal, I was thinking about this the other day. The new normal has actually now the normal and anything that's outside of that, you feel really weird. For example, getting out of a car without and forgetting your face mask and all of a sudden, a minute later, you realise that stricken feeling, that absolutely stricken feeling. All those things that have now become kind of normal and I wonder whether we're ever going to get back to the old normal or the new new normal or whatever it's called, like eating dinner on your lap as you watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Which just, we sat at the table the other day. It was the first time in about five months, I reckon, that we've sat at the table. Um, all oh, the... I've been pretty good about trying to do a couple of tables a week, but I've often, and eaten, I've noticed... often eaten dinner in front of the TV anyway. The other, so co- the other, co- the other COVID crisis between couples or parents and children or even people on their own, God knows I've sworn at myself a few times, when you're trying to to get that Netflix or Stan or iView or SBS on demand and you're trying to get it up and just something goes wrong and you can't get it. Oh, I know. I know. I tell tell you what, people say about the arts industry and how it suffered, but haven't there been some brilliant productions? And you're going to talk about another one when we do BSF, but haven't there been some brilliant things on television that have kept us going? And Carol, but Carol, were these made before, these were obviously made pre-COVID. What about all the productions that were supposed to happen this year? Does this mean in 2021, we will see nothing new? We'll be watching yet again the well, second series well, we of the spoke split. about the fact that Nicole Kidman's making the new Leanne Moriarty up at um, Byron Bay or somewhere on the north coast of New South Wales. So there is production going on within Australia at the moment. There's production going on in Queensland. I mean, what Tom Hanks has come back. London, though, you know, which is about to go into another six months of lockdown. Yeah, what happens the, there? The numbers are absolutely dreadful oh, there, and I'm not goodness. sure. I'm not sure about Hollywood, but maybe, maybe if Australia is smart and imaginative and keeps going on this creative bent, there'll be more and more productions coming out of Australia because they can't make certain things in America or they can't make certain productions out of London. So maybe this will be a good thing for the Australian arts industry, certainly for um, the Australian film industry. I think it's fantastic. Hope so. Hope so. The other thing I've noticed about myself too is I've become a little bit of a – there's a bit of the old Gladys Kravitz in me. I was walking around the suburbs a week or so ago At about 6 or 6.30 at night and in a very quiet street, there were a lot of cars seemingly outside one house. And I thought, "Mm, do you become a dibber-dobber at my age or, you know, know, sort of an interesting feeling, an interesting scenario, a bit narky, a bit like, who's having people over? Who is having people over? And I thought, oh, come off it. Will you just relax? I have noticed um, some really funny house parties in our area. And and we'll be going on our evening walk and I'll say to Brendan, gee, you know, I don't think they're meant to be having. And then we, we sort of, we do sort of peekaboo or what you can see. We don't get up on a stool and look over their fence. 
and it's literally three people. I know, but don't with you a feel like a boombox in the back garden <laughs> right, and, and a glass fun. of wine, and you go, "Good on you." Yeah, or it's a family, two Dancing. kids and mum and dad, or whatever. Yep. But you're absolutely right. But don't you feel like the Gladys Kravitz in Bewitched that you just kind of want to have a look and what's going on in there? Well, there is a lot more what's going on in the neighbourhood because everyone's in their flipping neighbourhood and they're not going anywhere else. <laughs> There's a lot of lovely meetings in the park, though. Now, I mean, it's so lovely to walk through a park. The gardens have never been more better used, and that reminds me, I've got a grumpy to do with that uh, later on in the show. But no, I think um, I think that's right. I think there is a lot more snooping and a lot more people mowing each other's lawns, and I think there's a good neighbourly feeling. There is I a good neighbourly. I've feeling. never actually considered dobbing anyone, but I haven't seen anything really shocking that probably requires dobbing in. And tell me, are you allowed to pet people's dogs? People you've never met before? Because I did that the other day and the lady looked very awkward as I did it. And I didn't know whether she was about to say, careful, he bites, or could you please get your corona hands off my dog? I wouldn't have thought so. (laughs) But are you allowed to? No, I wouldn't have thought that was a great idea. Patting someone else's dog. Well, well, I don't know. I mean, people just get a bit funny, don't they? They do. I was walking with a girlfriend last week and we were drinking coffee and a woman with a mask walked past and said, put your mask on. And I said, oh, I'm drinking my coffee. And she said, no, you're not. You're talking. Oh. And I, Wow. I know. I know. It, it rather, well, we were a bit shocked. We were a little bit shocked, but we just went and snuck around a corner and sat 1.5 metres apart and finished our coffee and had a bit of a chat. The other awful thing that happened was just before I came on air with you today, I was talking to a friend and she fell over in the street outside the fruit and veg the other day, which she said hideously embarrassing. But what was really stark, no one came to help her. Oh, that's so, so well, they all Well, they all just sort of stood there and then one girl came out of the fruit and veg and then another person said, are you okay and all of that. And as she said, I didn't really want anybody to help me because I was so embarrassed. I couldn't get up quick enough. But isn't that interesting? No one extending literally the hand of Well, help. I guess I guess they're not really allowed to, are they? They're not but allowed yeah, to. No, that is a bit. Where do you stand? You know how you're allowed to meet in a park now? With another family. I find it very complicated. One family with two children, two family. Uh, yes. No, well, two different yeah. households can, can meet in a park. Yeah, it's right. not that complicated. But I'm so sick of people going, I don't understand. Nobody knows the answers. <laughs> Just have a look. Work it out. Anyway, use your common sense. As oh, that's Rose right. Coco said. keeps putting on the family WhatsApp. These are the rules today so none of us get confused. Use your he- As Remember Rose in Amsterdam? Use your head. They're getting bad again too, oh, where wow. my daughter's living. They've got a lot very get high numbers. Get her home. Get her home. Um, oh, I'm not sure about that. But anyway, um, you so you're sitting, you know, I'm wondering if you go to meet a friend in the park and you're in a near a children's playground, can you get out your glass of wine? Can you drink wine, you know, in the playground or do you think the, the two are Are you allowed to drink ex- wine in the public place? Yeah. Oh, you should have seen the park near us last week. But are you allowed? Yeah, you're allowed to go and have a picnic. You're allowed to take wine have on a picnic. Have alcohol in a park. Yes, of course you are. But are should you? you be doing it in an actual playground? Well, no, Caro. Four <laughs> Negronis later. <laughs> I'm not saying four, but maybe just one glass of wine anyway. All these dilemmas lie ahead. Is there I just anything wanted, else? I just want to tell you one other thing about corona. I know we talk about lockdown and everything each week, but look, hey, there's not an awful lot else to talk about. And I know there are serious sides to all of this, but uh, here's a... Well, it actually, it is a serious side. There have been a whole lot of baby observations, Caro, so... As you can imagine, we have lots of parents coming to the shop, knocking on the door and picking up their parcels and lots of new mums with brand new babies, which is always very exciting because last time I saw them, they were pregnant. And so there's been lots of chat about pregnancy and uh, it seems to be an overwhelming view that these COVID babies are quieter. They're more relaxed. The mothers are more relaxed. Apparently breastfeeding has gone up. Um, There have been apparently fewer um, premature babies, which is really interesting, and midwives and nurses working in in um, birthing units and so on have said that the babies and mothers are calmer because there are no visitors. If you remember when we all had babies, you know, and normal in normal times everybody flocks in, and yep. you're trying to feed and you're crying or you're trying to go to the toilet for the first time, and you know there's granny and grandpas arriving and. But the downside is that there is quite a bit of anxiety amongst the mothers. New mothers are very nervous about taking babies out. There's some incredible stuff that's coming through from the UK at the moment about because they are really genuinely concerned about taking babies out into shopping centres and so on. Anxiety, depression, all on the rise. 
um, and no physical contact, not only um, mothers and babies with helpers and grandparents and that sort of thing, but also with other mothers' groups. So they try. So there are a whole lot of um, organisations in Australia who are midwifery groups and, and so on who are trying to organise Zoom mothers' meetings. Now, if you're a young mother and you've just had a baby and you hear of one of these, can I urge you to jump on and explore and see if it might be something for you? Because it might just help you through those first few weeks. Remember the mothers' groups we used to attend and we'd all meet at the park and you'd share, you know, my nipples are bleeding or the baby's not feeding properly or... Like, you just share so much information. Where to buy grow, grow suits that weren't very expensive... Yep, sleeping issues. All that stuff. Um, I, I do. Feel very, I feel very sorry on well, one level for new mothers at the moment. Well, certainly those within the Melbourne CBD in regional Victoria, you know, you're able to go and meet groups in the park and it's all fine. And, I mean, that'll be that's happening here now too. So you you can now meet another another mother in the park or another father and with the two families. So I think that's going to make a huge amount of difference and playgrounds are open again. So And the weather's getting nicer and nicer. So, look... It's on the up, but that's very interesting about the um, the state of mind of oh, mothers and babies. Oh, so interesting. And as one mother said to me, it's just been fantastic because we've had no weddings, we've had to rush out, no expressing, no reason to express because you're home with the baby, so you don't need to do that mad Which is sort of like pump, it pump, should pump. be, really. I mean, Yeah, you think, it would, you think it's quite kind of... Um, yeah, that's, that's the way you should be, I think, when you've got a newborn baby. Yeah. So it's been, anyway, very interesting observation. So we'd love to hear from any new mothers or even pregnant girls, a couple of those in my family, um, about how it's all going during the time of corona. You do. Two babies due around New Year's Day. So exciting, Corrie. Now, to be really sort of, well, it is a bit sad to go from birth to death, but there have been some really high profile and thought-provoking citizens of the world who we've lost this week. Um, I'm going to start with Dean Jones because I knew him, I worked with him. He was a Pied Piper. Of he, a seemed like, he seemed like such a lovely man. I only ever met him a couple of times. Oh, he, he was. He could be a pugnacious bugger and he was really argumentative and he obviously rubbed people up the wrong way at times, but he was such a good media performer because he was he was smart, he was passionate about everything he talked about and that was the, with me, mainly cricket and football. I remember once saying something that I thought cricket had lost its way and it had lost its power in the old Bank Street studio of 3AW. He was driving out of the car park and pulled his car over, ran back up again and almost grabbed the microphone, you know, to take me on. But he was a brilliant cricketer, dropped from the Australian team three or four years too soon, in my view. And it was political. And a lot of that has sort of come out in the last week. A really poignant discussion with Simon O'Donnell last week um, when he was remembering um, when he was remembering Dino on SEN and his regret as a, as a group, they didn't stand up for Dino more when he lost his spot to Mark Waugh after those, you know. And Mark, Isn't that interesting? And he, he said, we should have done more. We failed him. He Did also, they ever have a chance to tell him that? Probably over a few drinks. And, you know, Dean Jones fell out with people, luckily, including Darren Berry. But, you know, they made up again. He... Um, he also spoke about he read he read a text from a fellow former test cricketer who wouldn't be named saying he was loved by the masses but he only but he he only ever wanted to be loved by the inner sanctum and he never really felt that he was and you know even the fact that he was commentating for an international network but he didn't get much media work here in Australia in terms of commentary channel 9 etc he was is it because people saw him people India saw him as the larrikin a bit too much the cricket establishment oh i think he just was seen as a bit you know sometimes a bit of a troublemaker because you know he was he, he challenged people and he was a, just he was a brilliant batsman just an, a magical entertainer before his times in terms of his style and, and obviously, you know, to suffer a massive heart attack in a hotel, you know, when you've been jogging around the hotel area in, because, you, you know, you're not allowed to leave the hotel. The whole, you know, and, and Brett Lee trying to revive him, which have, would have brought back some very sad memories for you and the way you lost your dad, Corrie. But, no, I, I, it really, I don't know, it's just stayed with me. Yeah, and, well, you know. Of, he, and he was our age. He's our age. I think that's also part of it too. And we've grown up with him and we can remember him when we were all in our early 20s and how magnificent he was. He just set the world on fire. And, and um, oh, you know, it's like when Danny Foley died like this time last year. It's still, 
it still hits you in the guts, doesn't it? When young people, to us, young people, our yes. contemporaries, well, that go. was that was sort of even yeah, yeah. even more tragic because yeah. he, Danny took his own life, and and you know it's it's since come out about his concussion issues at football, and he stopped taking his medication. With Dean, you know, there's the the slight sort of. Well, I suppose it is scandalous in a way. Um, everybody knew that he had a second family that he only found out that we only found out about much later. But it would have been tough for his wife Jane and two girls to then have the woman who had been his partner. Um, we, we knew about her and we knew that they'd had a son together. But she was like, "Well, don't forget us. Don't forget mm. him." So that side of it mm. is also incredibly tricky. Oh, so difficult. incredibly tricky and would have been incredibly tough, I reckon, for the Jones family. I don't want to say too much, Corey, about Susan Ryan, except that she was just such a trailblazer. She was, Caro. Look, I uh, I met her a couple of times. I was lucky enough to. And I suppose for me, the death of Susan Ryan, who, who was the first female minister, first Labor female minister, when Bob Hawke appointed her in the early 80s to his ministry, um, she died age 77. It was relatively quick. She had not been ill for very long. And in fact, only a few months ago, I remember hearing her speak because she was a human rights uh, advocate and so on and speaking so terrifically on the radio. But it came right after Ruth Bader Ginsburg and a lot has been said about the US Supreme Court judge and what an extraordinary woman she was but I think there were some characteristics that Susan Ryan shared with her and in the obituaries it felt to me like we have lost, we being womanhood and the world at large, we've lost, you know, two, two extraordinary women who meant a lot to their particular countries. In the case of Susan Ryan, she was a huge advocate for, for um, issues such as women in the workplace, women in parliament, ch- childcare legislation. She was really extraordinary. She was great. The one that really affected me on a on a personal level, Caro, was the death of um, Harry Evans, Sir Harold Evans. Um, Who I last, <clears throat> last saw speak um, at a dinner in honour of your father, Graham Perkin. They were great friends, um, Harry and Dad. And in fact, when they were both young Turk uh, newspaper editors at the same time, Harry at the time was the trailblazing editor of the Sunday Times in London and Dad was the editor of The Age. They used to talk regularly and Harry would often ring us at home on a Sunday, a Sunday night because it was Sunday morning in the UK and they would have chats. And then I was lucky enough to meet him a few months after my father died. Um, Mum and I went to London. I met him. We met him. We First of all, we went to his family home um, where we had lunch with his wife, then wife Enid and children. Mum thought it was a bit odd that Harry wasn't there. Harry then asked us to his office at the Sunday Times. We had um, a lunch together in there. And a few months later, of course, it came out that Harold Evans was uh, having a relationship with Tina Brown, who then became his wife, and we all know about Tina. But he gave me a Former book. Former editor of Vanity Fair. Exactly, and a woman that you and I would love to be. Really oh, and completely, told. completely revitalised and rebranded that that magazine. Exactly, that... and both of them went on to be, they moved to New York, of course, and they stayed there and they both became such lions of the um, literary establishment and publishing world in New York. But Harry um, Harry gave me a book, Caro, which he signed. He inscribed, there's a beautiful inscription. I couldn't find it at home the other day, but it's there somewhere. But it was a copy of uh, the articles written by Nicholas Tomlin, who was one of Harry's great journos um, at the Sunday Times who was tragically killed during um, the Golan Heights War Um, and he was killed way too young and um, I have this collection and I have it forever but Harold Evans had an effect on journalists and journalism around the world. He's like Ben Bradley. They were great men and they led men and women who then went on to become huge figures in journalism. And I think actually all of us who love newspapers owe a debt to Harry Evans. Did he famously fall out with Rupert Murdoch? Yes. Rupert, from the... When Rupert acquired the, the Times and the Sunday Times in the early 80s, he appointed Harry editor of the Times, milked all his ideas They clashed. Harold had asked for editorial independence, which Rupert, of course, promised, and then pulled right back on that. So they had a terrible falling out and he was sacked. And um, And he wrote about it. Yeah, Good Times, Bad Times, an amazing biography. That's right, yes. So... um, Great documentary. Oh, Murdoch at the it moment. Oh, on the ABC, isn't it a ripper? The only, the only thing. James Murdoch. The only thing I'll say though, in the first episode, I just couldn't believe 
all this stuff about Rupert and Anna Murdoch's three children referring to Elizabeth as their eldest daughter did not mention Prudence, no. his eldest Wasn't daughter. Wasn't that shocking? I thought did not that too. Mention, did not mention her. I mean, his eldest Through child. Through the first marriage, exactly. Who he right. has a very close relationship with and um, is a successful, interesting woman in her own right, very close to her siblings. I, I just, I, I understand that she wasn't Anna's daughter, but I just can't believe they no. didn't mention and it. And do you know, Cara, when there's a slip up like that, all of a sudden, don't you find there's a, it casts a shadow across the whole documentary because you wonder who's actually done the research here and why have they left Prudence out? Well, famously, you know, some years ago, I think Rupert referred to his three children and um, and did sort of not overlook Prue, but just didn't mention her. I can't before remember the others, what happened. Before his two daughters to Wendy Deng. Wendy were, Deng were born. Were born. And um, I remember Penelope DeBell did a wonderful article in um, the old Melbourne Herald and, to, and she spoke out, you know, I don't think she actually spoke on the record, but she made it clear that she's there and she's very much there. And I think Rupert Murdoch was quite aggrieved and upset with himself and went out of his way to make it up to his eldest daughter, as he should have. Anyway, we digress. I won't spend too much on footy, Corrie. I just want a quick update. Final, so we're all excited. We're very excited. Um, well, you're not because... Um, Fifth year in a row, Hawks aren't. Oh no, that's not true. You made finals no, after made you won finals, the last one. But uh, yes, and I did post the other day of me celebrating. Uh, I can't remember what year it was now. What was it? Two thousand fourteen. Anyway, there I was outside the G. Yeah, well, the Hawks were great, but they're not there this year. Um, who knows where it's going to go? But there are finals across three different states over this weekend. It's pretty exciting. Um, the things I, I suppose that are the most interesting are everyone was worried when. Players were let out of the hubs and decided, elected to stay on the Gold Coast and stay in Queensland and holiday in Queensland. And some people have been outspoken saying they shouldn't be allowed to do this. You know, they should be going back to Victoria and back into lockdown, which I thought was ridiculous. I mean, for heaven's sake, they've done the right thing. I mean, yes, they've had a, probably a better time this year than most Victorians, but why shouldn't they stay in Queensland? They've done their time. They've done their quarantine. And it's funny that the first really bad off-field incident ironically, happened in Adelaide with two Adelaide footballers. So um, anyway, that was quite funny. Not funny at all for those two footballers, particularly Brad Crouch, who's trying to find a new home. Um, apart from the finals, you have the, fa- the you have a trade period and all this interest, particularly around the Essendon Football Club, players wanting to leave. Kevin Sheedy back onto the board. Is that a retrograde step? The new president's... Do you think a- it is? I think it's an interesting... I, would, I wouldn't mind having Sheeds back on the board. It's not a bad thing. I don't know what it's going to achieve. There's I think no, it's there's purely no symbolic. For, there's no threat for power like, or play for power there. Well, the, the new president, Paul Brasher, hasn't exactly made the most charismatic start to his presidential career with his message to members. Um, will Joe Danaher stay? No, he, he's going. So there's all of that going on. There's a massive blue simmering behind the scenes between the players and the AFL over money and the pay cuts they're going to have to take. And just my little personal issue at the moment is the lack of clout and respect the commission holds at the moment. Gillan McLaughlin's done a good job, thank heavens, because he has been given so much power, more power than any AFL CEO in the history of the game, because the chairman, Richard Goida, is just absent. And the fact that he's now told presidents he won't be going to the grand final, to me, is just the ultimate betrayal, really, of what he should be doing for the game. I His know reason would be... What, he lives business in Perth. down here, or he, he has... lives in Perth, mm-hmm. and I, I think it, it's a real argument for why the why the chairman maybe shouldn't be based in Perth. Myself, he's chairman of the Telethon, which is a massive event in Perth, which is on on the same weekend as the grand final. He's a chairman of Qantas and says he has a Qantas board meeting, which is in Sydney. Whether he's doing that by Zoom or not, I do not know. He's he, he's chairman of a lot of big companies, but mm, I would might, say might be time to scale back the chairmanships. I, how you don't go up there and thank all the players and the people of Queensland and the Queensland government and the members and all the people who've done so much to put this season on and you're the anyway baffling. don't get me started don't get me started but I'm not going to get started because you thanks to Red Energy a hundred percent Australian owned electricity and gas. If you want to get involved, and remember they're powered by Snowy Hydro, who is a leader in renewable energy, call 131806 for real Aussie energy. 
That is Red Energy, Corrie, who is sponsoring our crush of the week. Caro, my crush is a place, not a person, although the place is made up of a lot of wonderful people. And it is the Wheeler Centre, the Centre for Books, Writing Ideas, here in Melbourne, but global Global reach. Bit of a personal plug. Yeah, I have to declare there's there's a vested interest here. I am on the board of the Wheeler Centre, but I don't talk about them very often. But I did want no, to you mention don't. I did want to mention something because this is a bit of a GLT as well, Caro. Last night we acquired tickets. Oh, I did. Coco came over and watched it with me. I had a ticket to a webinar that the Wheeler Centre put on, a fantastic interview between Richard Flanagan, the Booker Prize-winning Tasmanian writer, and Jennifer Byrne, who we all know from the ABC book show, Valle. Another person we want to be. (laughs) Another person we want to be. And so they were talking about Richard's new book, The Living Sea of Waking Dreams, which I started last night, and I am in love with it. Sorry, had... you haven't finished our other book <laughs> no, yet. No, it's, it's to one side, but I just, I had to get started on the Richard Flanagan. Nobody the received. Of, the pile of books by your bed. Nobody received. No one in Australia, I don't think, um, received an advanced copy of this book. So as soon as we unpacked it yesterday, there was one in my bag ready to go home. But I digress. This interview was terrific and you can still see it. You can buy a ticket to it until I think it's October the 13th. If you go into wheelercentre.com and then press on to events and then follow the prompts. So they talk for about uh, an hour and a half. And obviously there are no questions because there's no live audience, but it is profoundly moving. Richard Flanagan, the the premise of this book is his concern for the planet, but it's not a heavy environmental message. It's really quite subtle. And he tells it through a, a story, which I'll go into another time when I review the book for the podcast. But the Wheeler Centre has brought this together and can I just say, during the whole COVID crisis, arts organisations and institutions in Melbourne have been decimated and they have no audiences. It's terrible. But so many of them have managed to continue on. The Wheeler Centre, no one has lost their job. We have maintained audiences. We have a wonderful new CEO in Carol Llewellyn who's just wonderful and terrific and there's so much energy about the place. Hats off team. Last night's presentation was just one of many terrific ones. Highly recommend. And you know what, Caro? There is something fantastic. You and I have done it before. We've gone to Wheeler Centre events where everybody's around talking, chatting, having a glass of wine in the foyer. But to be at home and, and have be at home and have it over dinner with your daughter beside you, a glass of wine and you're watching it on the screen. It's not half bad. So there you go. That's my crush of the week, Wheeler Centre. Well, Corrie, that's a shameless plug, but it's a good one and it's well-deserved because they do do wonderful work. And anyone who's trying to make sense out of this terrible period and make some good out of it deserves a pat on the back. So well said. Now, book, screen, food, and you have a book. The book book I haven't finished. uh, Corrie, (laughs) do yourself a favour. And and you lent it to me via Anna from the op shop. So thank you. I've still got the copy at home. Brendan started it now. This is a new novel by Malcolm Knox, um, the columnist from the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, he wrote the official biography, I think, of Philip Hughes. He's written a lot of cricket. He's a, and, and I've covered events with him before. I, I did not realise he was such a brilliant novelist. I've read about his books before. This is called Bluebird. It is a story about, a, well, it was a fading seaside town that's been glammed up, rebranded and overtaken by the developers and overtaken by personal politics. And sort of Northern Beaches, Sydney, isn't it? I feel it's either Northern Beaches or maybe Central Coast or maybe even South Coast because at one point the hero or anti-hero, and his name is Gordon Grimes, he's the antithesis of Holden Caulfield. Um, Holden Caulfield was just angry about everything in Catcher in the Rye, but, but he... He didn't, he didn't know where to channel that anger. He was such a rebel without a cause, such a brilliant literary character. This guy is such a brilliant literary character. Like Holden, he has a deceased sibling, and that is sort of the central mystery mm. of the book that goes all the way through. This book makes you laugh. It makes you cry. 
Um, Gordon is separated from his wife, Kelly. You find out a lot about her through the book. Although not separated because they're in, living in the same house. <laughs> separated but together, living in the decrepit old lodge that is a symbol of everything Bluebird, the seaside town, stands for. Um, there's local government. There's deception. There is the most hysterical scenes at the country club and the golf course. There's the old folks' home, his parents. It is uh, there, there is drug addiction. There is there's slightly... You can't work out whether the son is slightly on the spectrum or not, but he's a brilliant character in in himself. The characters are so well formed, and Gordon's parents are a riot as oh, well. You, but, but so you many you laugh and you cry. So many characters, Carol. I'm very confused. I'm sure it'll settle down. Although I'm to about page two hundred, so it should have settled no, by now. No, you don't. The characters you're talking probably about his inner sanctum. Most of them school friends, but the greater they're all bunch in their fifties now. And no hope is you will say, ever meet. Yeah, these people are not Holden Caulfield's age. They are in their fifties. They're, they're just all, these these tragic beach coma surf bums <laughs> who um, most of them are on the dole or lost their jobs or still living with their parents, even though they're in their fifties. And because they're the original bluebirders, like any, you know, his seaside communities, there's that inverse snobbery about anyone that hasn't been there for sort of 25 or 30 years. Um, it is just, and the nicknames are so funny. Oh, look, I, this was a treasure, this book. It is a brilliant book and I highly recommend it. Well, Bluebird by Malcolm I, I'm with Anna from the op shop. Anna said uh, she enjoyed it, but she felt like it needed a bit of an edit. I'm with her so far. That's my feeling about it. But I haven't put it to one side because completely I don't want to finish disagree. it. I completely disagree. I will finish it. I told Anna that. I completely disagree. I didn't want it to end. And the descriptions were so funny and so, oh, look, it's, it's sad. It's great. Anyway, on to screen. So, the screen. You're I, doing screen. I am. And I want to just mention the Comey Rule, which is a two part film which premiered on Stan internationally, actually, on Sunday. And the second part was on Monday. And I watched it in so called real time, as it were. Oh, this, this is, looks great. This is based on the memoir of James Comey, the FBI director who was sacked by Donald Trump for not shutting down the Russian investigation a couple of years ago. Comey was fired in May 2017 and his memoir came out a year later and, in fact, I reviewed it on this little podcast. You did. Um, very engaging memoir, Caro, but, um, and, you know, he, but I felt it was very much in defence of why he decided to go public about the Hillary Clinton email investigations on the eve of the 2016 presidential election and he comes across as such a goody two-shoes. But, in fact... This is who he is. You grow to understand that. Jeff Daniels plays, uh, we love Jeff Daniels. He plays James Comey in this movie. Uh, we all know him from Dumb and Dumber and Purple Rose of Cairo, but of course the newsroom for which he won an Emmy. And Jeff Daniels did an interview last week with Michael Moore, the director on Michael Moore's Rumble podcast, another GLT, fantastic. Um, and he talked about trying to discover, uh, get to the key of James Comey's character, and he said he did it by digging into his being Jeff Daniels' old Boy Scout days of, you know, doing good for the community. And as Jeff Daniels said, Comey just got ripped for being righteous. But the star of the show, well, look, there's lots of terrific actors. Jennifer Eel popped up. Do you remember her? Yes, Liz Lizzie Bennett. Correct, in mm. Pride and Prejudice all those years ago. She plays Comey's wife with an American accent. Holly Hunter is terrific as Sally Yates, the acting attorney general who's sacked by Trump in the first few days of his presidency. Michael Kelly, who we remember from House of Cards, he's Comey's deputy, Andy McCabe. But the star of this, Carol, is... Brendan Gleeson, who I just remember from the Harry Potter movies, but um, <laughs> on he, that brilliant film about the priest, the, yeah, the Irish film, and uh, he's a great actor. He, he's an Irish actor, and he brings to this Donald Trump character a sort of a Marlon Brando from The Godfather, that kind of feel to his Donald Trump. He doesn't play Donald Trump very cleverly, I think. He doesn't play Donald Trump as the buffoon. He plays him as menacing. And I think that's probably more in real life what this is all about, certainly in James Comey's memoir. How does it go with the accent? Really well. And he is, uh, you know how Donald Trump, I always say he has a rather effete way of talking and using his hands and that sort of thing. Yep. I think he gets it. He nails this part. But as I said, he doesn't play it over the top. He just lets the story and Donald Trump's actions speak for themselves. This is a ripper of... Uh, a, it has received mixed reviews in the US, I have to say. 
I'm not sure whether they fall necessarily on political grounds. And there was some discussion within the networks whether they should hold off um, broadcasting this before, you know, up till after the election, but they decided to go ahead with it. So I recommend it highly, Caro, highly. Well, I'm looking forward to watching it, the Comey line on Stan. I gather Hillary is just Hillary, is that right? Yes, there's no, she, she doesn't play, no actor plays her. A lot of uh, real time, real footage. So you see lots of Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail, um, all that, you know, all that sort of, all that sort of, um, that, those set, that second cast level are actually all themselves. So it's brilliantly spliced and put together and edited. Well, I have a recipe, Corrie. Thank you for that recommendation. Potatoes. Not much else in this recipe but potatoes. Um, it's a sweet Greek recipe. You know sweet Greek, that fabulous place at the Paran market that we always talk about and mm-hmm. think is absolutely brilliant. So this is basically a recipe that takes about an hour and a half to cook and you really just it, – it's sort of set and forget, although you have to check your potatoes probably every 20 minutes. I'll put the recipe on the um, show notes – but you basically get a whole lot of really good potatoes that you would normally use for roasting, usually maybe Pontiacs or Desiree or whatever. You peel them and then you slice them lengthwise and then into three. So they're sort of like, you know, thick wedges. You then toss them in lemon juice and olive oil and salt and pepper. Just toss them all around, you know, lemon juice, olive oil. Then you put them into the oven and you turn your oven on to about, oh, I don't know, 180 and in, the recipe says to use water, but I don't use water. I use chicken stock. And this is what Anna from the op shop who gave me this recipe recommended as well. You basically put in a huge amount of chicken stock, about half a litre, 500 mils. With about, this is, say, for four people. So you've got about, I don't know, 1.2 kilos of potatoes, Half a so they're semi, of, so they're half covered, as yeah, it were. That yeah, you put, you go, oh my lord, half this immersed, is a, I should say. And there's salt and pepper as well, and there's also a lot of dried oregano and salt and pepper. So you dried oregano, salt, pepper, lemon, and olive oil, toss them all around, and then you put them in a 180 oven, doused in half a litre of chicken stock. You basically cook them for an hour and a half, and I think probably what you need to do is every 20 minutes just give them a toss around and a scrape around. They are the stickiest, most beautiful, waxy. They're an asset to any meal. It's great if you're doing a dinner party because you can. Who's, so who's got, done so that they, for so a they while? Have a, the word we're not allowed to use moist. They have a moist feel about them. When well, they come yes, out, but do they? most of the From most the of the the liquid is Does absorbed. Evap- yeah. So they absorb into the potatoes. There's there's a little bit of crunch on the edge, but not really. They're more soft. They are absolutely delicious. Great with a barbecue, great with... That's a good one for Kel Island's Easy Cooking with Carol and Corrie recipe book. Absolutely delicious. So that is my recipe of the week, um, the sweet Greek potatoes. Um, I'm going to move right on into grumpy. Um, Well, I am a little bit grumpy to see George Pell getting on a plane and going back to Rome, but that's not what I'm really grumpy about. And this is a retrospective grumpy, Corrie, because we didn't do a show last week. I walked through the Botanic Gardens, note, Botanic yes, good girl. Gardens on the weekend. And, you know, they're, they're all the better for a little hiatus away from human beings, except for their gardeners internally. Why did we shut down the Botanic Gardens over lockdown? Mm. What was their excuse? COVID danger to swans. Oh, slack, slack, slack. I'm sorry. This would have been... Well, maybe a... they had no gardeners or officials Not on JobKeeper. Absolute tripe. Every other... The Botanic Gardens in Williamstown stayed open. In St Kilda, they stayed open. I don't know of any other gardens. The Victoria Gardens in Paran stayed open. Why did they shut the Botanic Gardens? Because they were lazy. They said, oh, we're worried about um, people gathering in there. Of course people are going to gather in parks. They're just going to walk through them. That's all they wanted to do. It was a really mean thing to do. It wasn't state government related. It wasn't federal government related. It wasn't a council decision. The gar- For some reason they decided to close and they shouldn't have. They're all the more beautiful now, but we missed the beautiful start of spring and I don't think it was good enough, Corrie. There you are. Take that. Garden workers. And while we're moving right along, it's time for six quick questions, Corrie. Yay, Corey. my favourite part because they're always so long. Well, 
well, particularly when you're answering them, and this one doesn't sound oh, like Joe, it's... That is the pot calling the kettle that's black. True. Okay, that's true. But this one doesn't look like it's going to have a quick answer. Maybe it will. What is yet another sign that the women of Melbourne are falling apart? Uh, <laughs> that is based on a presumption that I don't agree with. The women of I Melbourne just... aren't falling apart. <laughs> Why? Why are we falling apart, Corrie? Um, or what is an, what is another sign of it? Well, look, apart from here, honestly, like, let's face it, it is the number one topic among the women of Melbourne. Okay, can I just once again say this is, uh, this is frivolous chat, okay? I know the coronavirus is very serious. We're just having a bit of fun here, okay? I'm really, I have to preface. Yours is looking particularly saying, fetching with the sort of top-knot pushback bit. Yeah, that's night. to cover up all the grey hairs. I'm learning how to do it, you see. It's very clever of me to work that out. But, Caro, everybody's talking about their hair. Come on, let's face it. Not everyone is as lucky as you to be a television media superstar to have Channel 9 girls blow-waving and doing your colour, which looks really lovely. I have colour envy. Carol, looking at your hair right now. Taken on board. My friend, our friend, Anita, said um, scruffy dogs, (laughs) everybody's dogs. She said, poor Raffi, our dog looks like a street mutt, tragic and unsolvable, even with a wash until his grooming appointment on October 8th, which I thought, yes, I am seeing a lot of scruffy dogs. But um, I think, Carol, the thing that has struck me the most is... You're digressing about us falling apart. Well, women of Melbourne are falling apart. This is a very gender, old-fashioned gender line here, but our laundries... If you look in people's laundries, and I haven't been to very many, but I've discussed this with women friends about the state of the ironing basket because you don't need to iron anything. No. no one's ironing. No one's ironing during COVID. So you go into laundries. Which... Don't you iron pillowcases? Are you changing your sheets once a week? <laughs> yes, oh. but because you're having no visitors, you think, oh, should I really be bothered ironing the pillow slips and all of the clothes that are there from summer? I looked at the ironing basket the other day. We've got ha- clothes from summer, you haven't I? Corrie, this I think you're falling apart. Get a grip. Get a grip. Get out I'm the ironing board. <laughs> that last from summer. I mean, yes. see, unlike there are t-shirts from summer. Well, unlike you, my laundry is in a cupboard, so you have to keep it in ship-shape condition. So I'm pretty strict about my laundry. So I'm sorry to be, you know, I'm sorry to be a smarty pants. Why am I not surprised? You you would be Miss Perfect. But speaking, no, I'm not about many things. I hate vacuuming, for example. But don't you think it's strange that you can get your dog groomed but not yourself? I mean, that does seem a bit rough, don't you think? It's a bit rough. Do you think maybe we could go to to pet salons and say, look, while you think, could you just well, give me a bit of a do- buzz clip? Don't joke. I know of one one particular husband, not mine, who's actually done that. Now, anyway, so... Oh, don't. That's ridiculous. My question to you now. In a normal world, last dirty Saturday... Dirty laundry, yes. In a normal world, last Saturday would have been the grand final, of course, grand final day. How did you spend it instead? Well, it was that boring flipping end of season by, another thing that makes me grumpy, and I blame Brad Scott and Ross Lyon for that. Um... I spent it on 3AW reminiscing about grand finals past um, in the show I do every Saturday, hosted by Tim Lane with Lee Matthews and Matthew Lloyd. But you were really scratching the bottom of the ideas barrel we, we in, that, did, in we, that program meeting. We, we did a lot. Of, well, we sort of just evolved and all these wonderful callers started coming in and we did a lot of 1970. Ah, talk back. Because it was it 50, helps, doesn't it? It was Feels 50 now. years. Oh, there's always a lot to talk about, particularly with some of the woeful All-Australian decisions. But that was how I spent it. And then I went home and did some laundry. And, oh, and then it. I went for a walk. You with, did not. And then I actually bumped into my girlfriend at the local park. And we shared a COVID drink. Coffee. Well, it was in a coffee cup anyway. That was how I spent grand final day, Corrie. Um, what's the first movie you want to see when the cinema's oh, reopened? Oh, Carol, you're going to love this one so much. It popped up on my Instagram feed the other day as a plug. Supernova. Have you heard about oh, this? Oh, doesn't it look great? <gasps> Stars Stanley Tucci, who we love, Colin Firth, who we also love, and they play Tusker, who's a novelist, and Sam, a musician, a long-time couple, been together for years. And they have to suddenly come to terms with their future when one of them is diagnosed with a debilitating disease. And so they go on a bit of a road trip, a camper van holiday, which, of course, they fear may be their last. And they go to some beautiful country area where Sam's, Sam being Colin Firth, Sam's sister lives. And it's what happens just during that trip and when they return home. And 
It's not an action-packed film, Caro, but it's the sort of film that you and I love. Great dialogue, brilliant acting, it looks like on these shorts, and just the saddest story. And so, of course, I went from Instagram straight onto the old World Wide Web and oh, I was reading reviews and pre-reviews and interviews and I can't wait, I can't wait for this movie. It's a bit of a worry that, that Stanley Tucci and Colin Firth are now considered old enough to be doing old bloke road movies. But anyway, Our age as well, Caro, dare I say. I am looking forward um, to seeing it. Now, this will make you feel young. Midnight Oil have literally got the band back together and they are releasing a mini album, The Macarata Project, in October. What's your favourite Oil's memory? I did read about this and it has to be, and look, you were probably there actually when we were in um, our early 20s going to the Crystal Ballroom in Fitzroy Street, St Kilda and seeing Midnight Oil play was one of the great Saturdays. To think that you could do that on a lot of Saturday nights in Melbourne, I particularly loved it because um, I remember the year I was, well, not the, the first, maybe the first year, 1982, I covered footy, which was the year after you'd done it. Going, you'd cover a game, you'd file, because it was the old Melbourne Herald, you know, it was all done by seven or eight o'clock. You know, you off were done. Off to the pub. You would off, off to the Crystal Ballroom, which was at that time owned by the great, the Richmond great, the legendary um, football administrator, Graham Richmond, who is a, is a great, his family continues to be a great friend of our family. And he was with Dad for many years at Richmond. He actually owned and ran the Crystal Ballroom. Oh, I remember seeing UK Squeeze there. Must have been oh. about 1981. Well, I'd go and order. I'd go and order drinks, and Graham. I think he, from memory, he might have even given me free drinks. I remember often thinking, I, I do think I appreciated life then. I was twenty-one years old. I'd covered the footy that day. I'd finished work. There I was at the Crystal Ballroom watching Peter Garrett almost leap off the stage, and that gorgeous Rob Hurst on drums. I mean, boy, what a band! What a band! What a band! Anyway, that's my greatest memory. Corey, which public art installation is currently giving you the most joy? I know you're going to say Dustin Martin off Rowena Parade in Richmond. I'm so not saying that. I'm <laughs> saying Spoonville. Oh, isn't it wonderful? You and I talked about this the other day when we came across yes. yet another little wooden spoon gathering. So, Potties, if you haven't seen this or if you don't live in Melbourne, um, you've got to. They're uh, everywhere. Fact, They're all fact, around I've taken, Victoria. I've taken a couple of photographs and I'm going to put them on the Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account so you can see. People, mainly children, but with adult supervision, have been buying up. You can't get a wooden spoon in Melbourne. There's not one in Ikea. I think you told me that. Anyway, decorating wooden spoons and turning them into little characters hair designs, little outfits, smiley faces. Unless you're sending them to the Adelaide Crows. Just kidding. <laughs> there was a few of those on the line. Oh, ha-ha, boom-boom. <laughs> Gee, you're sharp. Don't you she love the sharp. way I just bring footy into Whoa. everything? Oh, and anyway, this is an idea that was born from um, Junelle Wilson, who lives in the UK, and in the midst of their um, – oh, sorry, she was born in the UK and she lives now in Victoria – and she just thought, look, there's just got to be something that we can do that brings a bit of joy. So little clusters of these spoon characters are in your suburbs. And I think it is the wittiest and wildest and most wonderful thing I've seen during these sad corona times. Caro, what's the hottest property currently coming out of Tasmania? Well, I'm focusing on the arts, obviously, because we've talked a lot about that today. And Clearly, Richard Flanagan and his new book. I didn't realise Jane Harper's new book is actually based also on in a in a pretty rundown Tasmanian coastal town. But I think I have to say, which I also didn't realise until I read um, the Good Weekend in the Age last week, um, that Marta Dusseldorp and her husband Benjamin Winspear had relocated. I didn't know this to Tasmania to Hobart. In fact, two years ago. And the view was that it's not enough just to say they've got Mona and um, there needs to be more done to make Tasmania the artistic cultural capital of Australia or at least do more for it. And I didn't realise they've been doing these wonderful, they did a wonderful Shakespearean performance out of a church in Hobart a few weeks ago and they've set up a production company and I think they've optioned um, that wonderful, is it Favel Parrot? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, pa- past the shallows. Yes, past the shallows. I think that is the, one of the first things Setting they've optioned. Abalone, di- Abalone fishermen. Oh, in a, a tragic family saga, and and they've going to they've started up a production company. They've they seem to have butted up to a lot of the local pollies, and they're reigniting in their own way the Tasmanian film production scene. Gosh, 
I know. So there, I, th- I thought that was really interesting. That is really interesting. And just on the Jane Martha Harper. Martha Dusseldorp, of course, who is um, oh, Janet King. Oh, she was King in Janet King. Uh, and, and a that, place to call home. She's a wonderful actor. She's a wonderful actor. What a wonderful uh, thing that is. Uh, the Jane Harper has arrived in the bookshop last week. It is selling like hotcakes. My brother, I asked him to review it for the bookshop newsletter. He contacted me after day one and said, oh, it's not very good. And my heart sunk. And anyway, he's come back to say it's terrific. It builds and builds. So that's called The Survivors, by the way. The Survivors, yes. Now, Corrie, before we go, I just want to take a moment to congratulate our partner, Red Energy, who has been voted the big improver and top 10 finisher in the prestigious Australian KPMG top 10 C score survey during COVID for customer Whatever that means, experience. it sounds great. Excellent. Do they get a TR, a box of grog? No, they don't. But the judges did say that Red Energy grew most in integrity and expectations through the pandemic. They were proactive in rewarding loyalty for customers. They found that through responsive customer service focused on easing the process of switching in energy providers, which I know you've done, and the Australian ownership factor with links to Stowey Mountain Hydro scheme that they built trust. Yes, so they well do. done. We trust them and we're actually going to turn the bookshop now onto Red Energy, Carol. I just thought I'd mention that. Well done, Red Energy, and thanks for all your support of our podcast. Can I just say thanks to Alicia? Don't this is a very long episode, Alicia. Don't listen to Jane. She'll say you have to cut it, but don't don't listen to her. We've had so much fun, Carol. This is what happens when you have a week off. Yes, thank you, Alicia Hopkins. Thank you to Red Energy. Thank you for your feedback and comments. Please send feedback, comments, and tips to the Don't Shoot the Messenger Facebook page. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at Don't Shoot Pod and we tweet. Just join at Don't Shoot Pod. And you can email us feedback at don't shootpod.com.au. Corrie? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to the Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy.